So this past Friday, the Wyatt family embarked on a little venture um, that we've been kind of anticipating for some time now. We, we began the search for an elementary school for our four-year-old Isaiah. I know it seems a little premature. He starts in September, but the Boston system is, is kind of crazy. And so here's how it works. We, we visit all kinds of schools. And so for the next few months, we'll be visiting a school every Friday and kind of looking around the school. And then you have a list, and on the list you give your top 10 schools, and you pray that they'll give you one of those schools. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy system, and so we're just traveling and, and, and checking out all these schools. And so Friday was the beginning of the process, and so Friday we uh, visited our first school, and while touring the school, it's crazy, just all these memories started flooding my mind from, from elementary school, memories of the, the big, bad, scary cafeteria where you have to sit in with older kids. You remember the, uh, the pizzas, right? The, the rectangle pizzas. There's nothing better than the classic rectangle pizzas. And I wish I could go back to school so that I could have one of those guys again. Those are those good. Also, um, show and tell time started flooding my mind as I saw a bunch of little kids in their classrooms with their things that they were, were showing. Uh, I also was just thinking through some of my best buddies from elementary school kids that I have no clue what they're up to today. But uh, thinking through those guys, thinking about the times tables and all, all just memorizing all that, all that stuff. Best of all, recess, right? But, but there was a point in the tour where it just, it hit me. And, and it was one of those memories that, that you would never, ever cross your mind again unless there was this one thing that sparked it. And for me, it was in this elementary school, I see this bulletin board. And the bulletin board was devoted to Thanksgiving. And so I had turkeys and Indians and, and pilgrims, and the memory just hit me. It reminded me of kindergarten, Miss Turner's class, when she was throwing a Thanksgiving party. And for the Thanksgiving party a week before, she divided the class up into pilgrims and Indians. And I remember so bad I wanted to be an Indian, so bad. One of these wild, face-painted, crazy Indian boys is what I wanted to be. But sure enough, just my luck, I became the pilgrim. And, and the reason being a pilgrim was so lame is that when you showed up to school that day, the day of the party and the presentation for Thanksgiving, the kids who were, were pilgrims had to wear dress pants. And I hate dress pants, so I had to wear dress pants and dress shoes and tuck my white shirt in. And then to top it off, you have to put this hat on, right, with a belt buckle on it. You just look like a total goober versus, on the other hand, if you were an Indian, you could just show up in your jeans and your white t-shirt and get the brown paper bag, cut it up, right? And it was the, the buffalo skin, you know, jacket that every kid wanted. You could color and do all these cool things, but it was a brown paper bag. And then you, you got to wear the, the feather head thing. And man, I just so wanted to be an Indian, but I got stuck being a, a lame pilgrim. And then to top it all off, you go to the cafeteria that day, right? And you're expecting your your treasured pizza, and what do you get? The, the special for Thanksgiving, right? They, they slop on this, you know, mound of gravy and turkey, and you're just not, I mean, now I love gravy and turkey, but as a kid, you just want your pizza and your chicken nuggets, you know, and so it's terrible. And then the worst, the worst part of all is you're all dressed up, you're in the cafeteria, and you have to endure the fourth and the fifth graders mocking you for these goofy outfits that you have on. So, so for me, Thanksgiving Starting early, I just had this cold taste in my mouth, right? I just, I just did not like it. I was cold to Thanksgiving. And then as a child, it, it kind of got worse as I started to realize that Thanksgiving was one of those few holidays where I didn't get 
anything, right? I mean, you think about it. Halloween, you get candy. Valentine's Day, you get candy. Easter, you get candy. And the White family got candy and a kite, right? And so candy and a kite. And then Christmas, birthday, you, you get gifts. But Thanksgiving, you get nothing other than my aunt just pinching your face and my uncle giving you the noogies and, and just these awkward cousins. It's all you got. You didn't get anything that was cool that you could take home. And uh, so I, I just did not, did not like uh, Thanksgiving as a child. But I will say I've warmed up to it. I love Thanksgiving now. And, and, and I've come to love it because I realize now that we really do get something huge out of this American tradition, this, this thing we call Thanksgiving. And I want to show it to you in Scripture this morning. And listen, if, if Thanksgiving um, can move beyond just this annual tradition for us, and it can move into this daily lifestyle, I'm telling you God will be more glorified and we will reap some tremendous benefits. So let's go Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be here for the next couple of weeks together as we go through this series that we're calling Thanks and Giving. Thanks for Giving. And so um, I want to give you a little bit of background as you're flipping to Philippians and, and just tell you a little bit about, about this book. Paul is addressing the church in the city of, of Philippi here. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Paul's letters, nine of the 27 books of the New Testament are, are, are letters of instruction from Paul to a specific church or to a specific grouping of churches in, in a region. And so many of the churches that Paul addresses in these nine letters are, are churches that he himself started in his ministry. And so this letter this is to the church of the city of, of Philippi. And it's a church he started just a few years prior all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, a church that is near and, and really dear to his heart because it was his, his first church that he started uh, in Europe. And so uh, he, you can just see in his tone in this letter that Paul is excited. And, and the letter to Philippians really has a few different purposes. And I just want to walk you through these purposes quickly. The first purpose that, that this letter serves is it gives a lot of people updates to the church in, in Philippi. What he does is he lets the people uh, of the church in Philippi know about their, their friend and church member, Epaphroditus. He was this guy who had left the church to come visit Paul, to, to encourage Paul, to give Paul some gifts from the church. And they catch wind back in Philippi that while he's visiting Paul, he gets really ill, ill to the point of, of near death. And, and, and Paul is writing this letter, giving a people update, saying, guess what, Epaphroditus, I know you've heard he's sick, but he's doing much better. God has, has spared him. He didn't pass. He also writes in this letter to let them know that Timothy, uh, a disciple of Paul, is going to go back to Philippi, and he's going to minister on Paul's behalf to them. And then also, as we'll see this morning, Paul uses uh, this letter to give a little people update to let them know that I know that I've heard that there are a couple ladies in your congregation that have a little issue going on and, and he, he, he writes this letter to, to deal with that a bit as well. Another purpose beyond people issues that, that Paul uses this letter for is he uses this letter to encourage them. He uses it to, to tell them stay strong, press on in your faith and continue to progress and grow. And it appears from, from this, ver or this book and some other texts in the scriptures that Paul has visited this church several times since his original trip to Philippi where he started the church. And he goes back and forth and teaches them. But now he really wants to teach them again. But he can't show up in person and teach them because he's in prison. Most likely he's in prison under the infamous Roman Emperor Nero. And so Paul says, I'm going to have to teach you through letter. And so he encourages them and teaches them 
through the letter since he's a prisoner of Nero, which leads to the next purpose of the letter. This letter is a, a big extended thank you letter to the church at Philippi. So Paul is a prisoner under, under Nero, most likely. And being a prisoner under Nero, there was this big social stigma that, that came with, with being a, a, a prisoner. And, and the Philippians could have easily said, eh, I don't know, let's kind of disconnect from Paul, the stigma socially, let's, let's not really connect with him. But instead, they said, we're going to continue to support your ministry, Paul. We're going to continue to send you gifts. We're going to continue to send you money. Scripture tells us that they're the only church at this point in time supporting Paul in his ministry. And so this letter to the Philippians is Paul saying, Thanks for giving. Thanks a lot for giving. And next week, we'll look on Paul's thank you to them for their giving. But this week, what I want to I look at is Paul's encouragement to them to, for them to, to thank God. He says, I want you to be a people who are, are thinking on God and then thanking God for who he is and what he's done. And in fact, in this letter, what's cool about this letter is you read through the tone of it. It, it just has a unique tone compared to the other letters of Paul. This letter, we hear the word joy and rejoice just over and over and over and over again. Just a, a clear theme of this book. And, and this is just Paul's most chipper, joyful letter that he writes. This letter to the Philippians. And, and think about this. So this is crazy. As we said, he's under uh, the, the rule of, of Nero. He's in prison under Nero. So just think about the fact that Paul is so loaded with joy. If you know anything about Nero, j- just catch this. One thing that Nero was known for is taking Christians, covering them with tar, with pitch, and then lighting them on fire and using them as human torches to light up his palace. And, and yet, with this looming over him and execution looming over Paul, what is he saying? saying, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. God is good. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. Rejoice. Be full of joy. So with all of that background, let's look at Philippians chapter 4. We'll go Philippians 4, 1 through 3 for starters here. Philippians 4, 1 through 3. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we'll stop there. We'll talk about these three verses for for just a minute. Verse 1 is actually really the tail end of of chapter 3, where in chapter 3, Paul encourages the people of the church of Philippi. He says, press on press on keep growing in your faith and we know that it's the tail end of chapter three because he starts it with the word therefore and he says therefore in light of what chapter three says which is you're a citizen of heaven act like it stand firm he says therefore stand firm so it's the tail end of chapter three but it's also really crucial to chapter four Uh, because verses one through three here's what they really do they help establish for us and where we're going this morning that paul loves them i mean paul really really loves in verse one he says i love you he says you are 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 people that i love because you're my spiritual family you're my children in the faith you are my brothers and sisters i love you he goes on he says i long for you in chapter one verse eight of 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 this uh this this book he says i yearn for you so he longs for them he yearns for them he misses them he's he's in prison here he just wants to be with them he so wishes that he could see them and be with them and be encouraged by them and encourage them and teach them so he says i long for you i yearn for you he goes on 
You are my joy and my crown. And what he's saying is this to the Philippians. He's saying, my crowning achievement would be your spiritual success. My, my crowning achievement would be your spiritual success. Your, your conversion and your continued spiritual success brings me great joy, he says. And can I just say that, that as, a, as a church planter now and as a, as, as a pastor of this church, I feel like I can totally, totally relate to Paul in this sense. After the, the spiritual success of my, my family, my children, Paul didn't have any kids, but for me, after the spiritual success of my children, my crowning achievement would be your discipleship and your progress in, in your faith, your spiritual success, and, and, and the establishment, therefore, of a Christ-exalting, biblically faithful, transformational church here in West Boston. For me, that would be joy. For me, that would be a crowning achievement, watching you guys grow in the Lord. I mean, really, what could be... What could be greater than that? For me, that's what keeps me up at night. For me, that's what fills my eyes with, with tears. For me, that's what weighs on my heart every second of the day. It brings me to pray often throughout the day is, is your spiritual success. So I can, I, I can relate with Paul here. And Paul says to the church here, this, this first church he planted in Philippi, this church that he loves dearly, he says, I love you. I long for you. I yearn for you. And, and you are my crown, and you are my joy. This is really further evidenced by verses 2 and 3. Check out verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3, as, as we've read, we see that there's, there's this clear disagreement between a couple of ladies. Go figure, right? A couple of ladies in the church are, are having this little disagreement, Udia and, and Syntyche. And he loves this church, and he loves these people, and so he wants to help them. And so he says, it's time to handle a little bit of business. And here's what he says. He says, all right, I want you to bring in a third party, a mediator, and we're going we're gonna to solve this issue, right? We're going we're gonna to solve this is- issue. And that's really all we get. Unfortunately, I know what you're wanting. I, I know you want the juicy details. I do too, but we don't get any of the juicy details. We just know that there's a struggle between these two ladies. There's a disagreement. We simply know there's a couple of ladies. These ladies have ministered alongside of Paul and Clement and the other fellow workers. We know that their names are in the book of life. In other words, they, they are Christians, but they're in this church. He loves them, and he loves this church, and so he wants this issue settled. So we catch this in these first three verses. Paul loves them. Paul really loves them. And, and now we can get into the command. But first, notice how this works. Notice how this works. Paul establishes for them his, his love for them. Now think about this. If someone comes up to you and says, you know I love you, right? What are they saying? What, what, what's, what's about to happen here if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I, you know I love you, right? Really, typically what that means is they're about to give you some kind of news. They're about to ask you to do something difficult. And I'll just give you a good holiday story. This is a true story of me as a boy. I remember going up to my mother as a, as a, as a boy and saying, Mom, you know I love you, right? You love me too? Yes, Joshua. Well, Mom, um, you know that porcelain nativity scene that's been passed through the family for generation after generation after generation? Um, yes, Joshua. Um, we're Christians, right, Mom? Yes, Joshua. So we believe in forgiveness, right, Mom? Yes, yes, Joshua. Um, um, Mom, I love you. <laughs> and so it's fine. Joshua, what happened? And Mom, um, here's Joseph's body, and here's his head. <laughs> 
sorry. And then, what? Oh, man, it was terrible. Mom, please forgive me, right? And this is what Paul does often in Scripture, not breaking nativity scenes, but what Paul does often in Scripture is he establishes his love for a person or for a church, and then he says, will you do this? And this is going to be difficult. And that's, that's a really important practice, even for us today as Christians, is to establish our love, our concern, our care for somebody before we take our Bible and smack them over the head, right? We talked about this as we went through the book of Philemon, right? We talked about how Paul with Philemon shared his love for, for Philemon, his concern for Philemon, his, his desire for the well-being of Philemon. And then he says, now I want you to take back um, and, and forgive a person who has stolen from you, who has ripped you off. And, but he, first he says, before I tell you to do the hard stuff, you know I love you, right? And so Paul's doing that with the church at Philippi here too. He says, I love you. I love you. You know I love you. Now, let's keep going. Verses 4 through 7. Let's read it. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we'll stop here. This is really good stuff. This is really good stuff. And I told you in this command, I told you it was going to be difficult. Rejoice in the Lord is the command. Maybe you're thinking, Josh, seriously, what's difficult about him commanding them to rejoice in the Lord? Well, let's establish, first of all, that rejoicing in the Lord is not simply find happiness. Rejoicing in the Lord is, is not simply find outward pleasure. Rejoicing in the Lord is not simply take your circumstances, the good ones, and, and thank God for them. That's not rejoicing in the Lord. No, re- rejoicing in the Lord is find a deep contentment, find joy rooted not in our, our circumstances, but rooted rather in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in His power, rejoice in His plan, and rejoice in, in his finished work that he has done on your behalf with the cross and his resurrection. And in finding that, have this settling in your spirit where you can be full of joy no matter the circumstance. And, and the reason this is really difficult and a difficult command for Paul to deliver is because, as you and I know, we're emotional beings. I mean, no doubt about it. Even the, the most stoic guy in the room, we're, we're actually really emotional beings, and we tend to really ride on, on life's circumstance. And so what happens is, is when life deals us a good hand, right, we're good. Life deals us a good hand, hand we're, we're joyful, we're all smiles. But when life deals us a bad hand, a difficult hand, we're, we, we tend to be a wreck. We tend to get upset. Uh, maybe it fleshes out differently in each of our lives, but it's understandable. We tend to get really upset. And what happens for most people, a majority of people in the world, is that we're really like a boat adrift on the sea and we're really riding over the waves and the current of of life's circumstances and so we're, we're just kind of really dependent on the the current and so sometimes life is is still and calm and we're good but sometimes it just gets crazy and we just start rocking and going nuts and everything is just out of sorts and really what paul is saying is this he's saying there's a better way he's saying you got to know that there is a better way let god serve as 
your anchor that will keep you in place. Matthew chapter 70, uh, Jesus says it a different way. He says, let God be the rock upon which you build your house versus the sand that is, is sinking sand. Find your joy, not in your circumstances, but find your joy in him. And see, here's what happens. If you find your joy in circumstances, occasionally in life you're going to be happy. No doubt about it. You'll be happy. Things are good. You're happy. But when the storm comes and, and your boat is rocked and everything's going crazy, you become overwhelmed and full of, of uncertainty. Things start to just be questioned and you just start to drift. But listen, if, you're, if your joy is in the Lord and you are anchored in the Lord, when the storm comes, as it does for all of us, your certainty will remain. And, and, and listen, you're still going to get rocked. I mean, just know that. A, a boat with an anchor and a storm comes, it's still going to rock. But guess what doesn't happen? It doesn't drift. It doesn't drift. And what happens to so many Christians, we have to catch this, what happens to so many Christians is when life gets crazy, we just drift and we get further and further and further away and where we don't even know where we are anymore. And it's because we've lived our lives based on, on, on just the circumstances of life and rather than being anchored by the Lord. And so Paul in deep love says this. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always which means no matter the circumstance, always rejoice in the Lord. And this is a difficult command to deliver because when he says this to somebody, maybe even in this room, to somebody who's in in a tough circumstance in life, it may sound like he's being a little insensitive. It may sound like he's saying, suck it up, suck it up, suck it up and, and, and smile. For some people in the Philippian church, they were really upset. They were really torn up. They loved Paul and Paul's in prison and they're upset about that and it may sound to them like he's saying suck it up and smile it's all good don't worry about it and 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 maybe that persecution that you're you you really have looming over you Philippian church suck it up don't worry about it smile maybe for you it, it, it comes across initially that he's saying I know your loved one's dying suck it up I know that that life is terrible right now it's really difficult suck it up I know children in your life they're they're a mess I know your job's a mess your your load's unbearable at, at work and, and maybe it feels initially like he's saying suck it up and, and smile and, and you got to know I, I agree with you that sounds insensitive and it sounds dumb and that's why a lot of people look at the Christian faith and say it's just goofy they just smile all the time and, and not really face the reality of the situation it sounds insensitive dumb unreasonable but that's not what God is saying through Paul here what he's saying is your joy found in circumstances is destined to fail you because sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad but if your joy is found in the lord who is anchored and unchanging then you're going to be not drifting but you're going to be solid and you're going to say he's got me he's got me he's got me and so paul says rejoice in the lord always and then you kind of hear like this whisper of the philippian church saying seriously paul so he goes again i will say Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now he goes on, verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This, this word that is translated here, reasonableness, is translated differently in the different translations of the Bible, but really the, the same thrust. Reasonableness, gentleness, forbearance, graciousness. What he's talking about is how we as Christians relate to each other, even just knowing that he came off of talking about this conflict between these two ladies. He's saying, listen, be reasonable with everyone. In other words, we've got to be in this together. We've got to maintain unity. We've got to maintain community. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. That means the Lord is coming. He's coming. And, and don't be caught when the Lord comes in discord with, with other Christians. He's coming back for us. Don't let him find us in discord. Instead, be in one accord, worshiping the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord together, getting through storms of life to, together and, and pressing on together, not alone. And then he goes a little deeper. Look at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Did you hear that? Some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, sure. He says, do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. It's a command. So what that means, if this is a command, is that anxiety is not simply a disorder to be diagnosed, but anxiety is a sin to be repented of. Anxiety is a, a sin to be repented of, first and foremost, and we need to know that. And anxiety, what it is, is a sin, is, is a lack of, of trust in God. It's, it's saying, I'm going to carry this myself, I've got it, and, and I'm trusting in, in self. And if you think about that, then what anxiety really is, is a complete opposite of what the Christian faith is. The, the, the premise of the Christian faith is that we can't do it. We're trusting in God. And so anxiety is saying, no, I'm going to trust in myself and I'm going to bear this burden. I'm going to just carry it wherever I go. And, and I, can, I can tell you this, that, um, that, uh, that you can trust in the Lord and, and you can really live out this, not be anxious for anything because I, I really have been an anxious person. I have a history of anxiety. Some of us have proclivities to certain sins. I definitely have a proclivity to anxiety. I mean, that is just, it, it takes very little for me just to go, oh my goodness, and just start to just wear something heavy on me. And it's a sin. It's a sin. And I, I got to tell you, I found victory in it, in the Lord. And, and here's the victory. Look at the victory. Second half of verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Second half. But in everything, so see the opposite, anything, everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, don't be anxious about anything, anything. Instead, here's the antidote, here's, here's the way that he counteracts anxiety. Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving let me just kind of break these down for you prayer is the overarching word for our coming to god prayer is the approach goes on prayer supplication supplication is the the actual request being made known to god so for supplication and anxiety it would be letting god know what's on your heart god this person is ill i'm ill god i I give it to you god this this money thing i have no clue how we're going to pay rent god we're 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 in debt how are we going to get out of this god it's it's presenting to the lord the the request god this relationship is on the rocks on and on and on in prayer supplication hand it over to god and then the next thing it says with thanksgiving so this is in prayer to god we begin to acknowledge all that he's given we begin to acknowledge all 
that he's given and we start to say, God, thank you for giving. Thanks for giving this. Thanks for, for giving this. And you just express your awareness of what he has given you from creation to Christ to relationships to everything else that he has given us. We say, thank you, God, for that. It's Thanksgiving. And, and for me in my life, this verse has become the most recited verse in my mind ever. I, I committed it to memory years ago, and it constantly, every day, at least once every day, it is played through my, my mind. And just think about the power of, of this verse, the power of this practice. What God is telling us through Paul, he says, I want you to think about all the gifts. Think about all the good things that I've given you. Think about just the blessings that I have poured on you. And what happens when you're thinking about the blessings that God has given you? What are you not thinking about? You're not thinking about the problem. You're not thinking about whatever it is that you are, are anxious over. I mean, just try right now. Try in this moment. Think about two things at once. It's possible. Your mind might go back and forth quickly, but you can't think about the two things at once. And so prayers of thanksgiving are powerful and they they lead to joy and i just so deeply want for all of us in this room to begin to experience the the joy of the lord to allow that to become a reality in your life and for this to happen you must begin to make a regular practice of filling your mind with the things that god has given and so often start to think on god and his gifts God who has given himself to you and the many gifts that he has given us from our salvation to relationships to his spirit to his power on and on and on think about God and his gifts and then let that transition into thanking him for himself and and his gifts and here's the result verse 7 and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so the opposite of anxiety is the result here and that is is peace we have peace the peace of god that fills us up and our joy and our our peace that we can have as a christian he says is is really strange to those people outside of of the faith and they they look at at how we can have peace in the middle of storms and they say what what's that all about it it passes all understanding for them and it for many of us, it passes understanding for us. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, man, if I had that kind of cancer, I don't know how I could get through it the way he is or the way she is. But then those people, when they, they have that storm come upon them, the, the strength that, that, that is displayed and the joy that is displayed in the middle of the storm, it, it comes upon you because God gives it to you as you think on him and you thank him for who he is and what he's done in your, your life. And, and today, people all across the globe Maybe you're even there this morning. You're striving for, for joy. You're striving for, for peace. And you're looking and, and chasing after anything and everything that, that says that it will give you happiness and joy and peace. And turn on any, the TV. Any commercial will tell you, here's the answer. Clear skin. Here's the answer. Shopping at TJ Maxx. Here's the answer. This kind of portfolio, if you can just follow our business plan. On and on and on and on. Here's the answer. And so people chase after it chase after it to to really resolve their inner turmoil but god says no you look to me you trust in me with thanksgiving in your heart and you will find peace and you will find lasting joy now for the last two verses of this section we'll look at verses eight and nine and we'll finish up here verses eight and nine what i want you to see is eight and nine 
are, are really what we would call a parallel of, of verses 4 through 7. So verses 4 through 7, we get the command and we get the result. What was the command? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but pray and, and pray prayers of, of supplication and prayers of thanksgiving. And the result is the peace of God that passes all understanding. So we have command, result. Now verses 8 and 9, we get another command and another result. Same thing said differently. 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. There's the command. He goes on. And the God of peace will be with you. And so the call here. Is, a, is really a parallel of the previous verses, but it now is, is put in such a way that it says, go do this, go live this out. And what we're going to do in just a minute here is we're going to do it. We're going to live it out. We're going to put it into practice right here. He says, think on the things, the things that are, are, are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, excellent. Think on the things that lead you into the worship of God. And so you're thinking on God. If you think on those things, the result is what? Peace. You think on those things and you practice the thing, things that Paul has been telling us here, the result is, is peace. And so what we're going to do is, is I'm going to pray and Ben's going to come. He's going to invite us to stand and, and sing. And we're just going to sing and think on the Lord. We're going to think on those commendable, lovely, pure truths of the Lord. We're just going to think on them. Allow it to just, as you think on them, lead your heart to a heart of thanksgiving. And we're just going to sing some songs of, of worship to the Lord. And so um, why don't we pray?